Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I was born to love you. I was born to lick your face. You <laughs> was born to rub you, but you were born to rub, rub me, me first. first. Uh, how about a dip in the pool? Huzzah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good old Chevy. Do you have it? You have it, right? It's Chevy Chase. Yes. I want to say it's vacation. Oh. What? Well, you would be wrong if you wanted to say uh, that. Yeah. So I let's know. just say that you don't want to say that. I don't want to say it's vacation because that would just be crazy. Uh, how about yeah. Oh, it's... um. Uh. Yeah, poor, it poor is, pond. It's, it's Cat, uh, Caddyshack or Fletch now. It's Caddyshack. Yeah. Okay. Caddyshack. Caddy. Cat. Easy. Yeah. Easy, Andy. It's Caddyshack. <laughs> I should have known. I should have known. <laughs> I was weak. And I'm working now. in a lumberyard. Yeah. What's wrong with the lumberyards? <laughs> I notice you don't visit them all that often. No, 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 no. You know, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you no 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 what Andy? Uh, this has been a uh, this has been a great week, and uh, you should tell me why that is. It has been a great week because the because the sun has been shining. No, the good no, no, the no, no, sun no. has been shining. It's been fantastic. Uh, can I tell you this? Let me tell you this. I got a, I got a text from my dad. Oh, I have not seen this movie yet. The movie I'm about to talk about. I have not seen it yet. I'm very excited to do so, as I think you know. He texts me in the middle of my son's birthday party, my son's seventh superhero birthday party. Right. And I'm in the middle of this thing, and I'm like doing the photos, and he says, stop what you're doing right now. I don't care what it is. I know you're doing (laughs) your party for your son. Seven is not really a banner year. Don't worry about it, and go see. Do you know what I'm going to say? I don't get just guess what the movies this that would have happened, you know, kind of last week. What do you think he would have said? He said, This is the movie you drop everything to see. This is, and I'm waving my hand emphatically as I say this. I'm punctuating with my pointer finger dramatically. This is the movie you drop everything to see. What is it? Probably scary movie. (laughs) You're a hateful man. It's my father. I don't use that kind of language around uh, my father. I'm going to say Oblivion. It was Oblivion. Have you seen it yet? I haven't. I'm excited to see it, uh, but it has also been one of those big project weeks, and so I haven't uh, been able to get out and see anything. So um, he says, this is a fantastic movie. We have to go see it. It was worth missing your own seven-year-old's birthday party. That's serious. To see this movie. Not only that, it's worth actually starting the birthday party and leaving it. That's the <laughs> insult to injury part. It's it is that good. <laughs> wow! Right? He is, he is a serious man. All over it. 
and he works in politics. Let me let me ask you a question. So, <laughs> on, on on your seventh birthday, did your father leave you to go see a movie? Is this is this where this is all coming from? I don't know. I spent my youth in the closet, in a, in a, in a, literally in a closet under the stairs. Like I have no memory of any birthday. We didn't celebrate birthdays. We little. I was given I was given a can of beans and a pencil. And he said, "Good luck. Enjoy your food." Can of beans. Wow. <laughs> and maybe an old well, uh, an old viewmaster of a Scooby Doo mystery. <laughs> if I was darn lucky. There's your TV. There's your TV. If it weren't for you, lousy kid. It was for you, lousy kid. You pesky kid. You pesky kid. Oh, man. And this ain't no mask. <laughs> uh, this is the next reel, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Pete Wright, and that over there uh, is Andy Nelson, all the way over there in Arizona. Howdy, howdy. Um and uh, so you should head over to thenextreel.com and uh, make sure you subscribe to the show. You can uh, subscribe to us via RSS if you're a nerd like us. Uh, or you can just head over to iTunes. It makes things really, really easy. It's free. You can sign up. You can subscribe. You can leave us fancy five-star reviews, which is great because I don't know if you know this, but when you leave us a review of kindness, when you share your kind words uh, about the talk that we we do here, it helps others who are searching for movie podcasts to discover it. So it is really very helpful. It is technically, it is quite literally very helpful when you leave us kind reviews and kind kindness of your stars. So we appreciate that very much. Uh, you can find the conversation about the show over on Facebook, facebook.com slash the next reel. And uh, we've had some many great kindnesses uh, this week in particular. Uh, thank you so much for everybody who's been talking about it. We had a couple. We got to talk about this. I think uh, uh, Leisha Warfield writes on Facebook that we need to uh, we need to hit up more Stephen King. Where do you what do you think about this? I think it's a great idea. I think there are some absolutely great Stephen King adaptations out there that are definitely worth looking at. There's a lot that aren't worth looking at, and there's a lot that are are fun, but. You know, you could probably forget about it fairly quickly. But I think for the most part, I really enjoy uh, a good handful of adaptations. And I think uh, I think it would be a fun series. Uh, I'm all for it. I am too. I'm very excited, especially that I, I like the idea of the book movies, uh, the book movie series. You know what I'm talking about? Like mm. I would, I would love to do, you know, the, uh, the series of the really good ones. But the ones that are coming up for me are the really early ones. Um, I would love to do. Uh, uh, I, I'm torn on The Shining, honestly, and that's the one that Leisha brings up on Facebook is that we should we should hit up and and do a tie into Kubrick, and uh, I don't know. I'm I I think uh, I'm a touch intimidated by the Kubrick. A lot has been said by, about the Kubrick. Well, and a lot of people, a lot of podcasts talk about uh, talk about the big K. Yeah. The big K. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not sure how much we, uh, how much I in particular would have to add to that conversation. That's that's my only thing about Kubrick. I think uh, it would be fun though. I, I enjoy that one. You it'd, know, be misery, it'd be a challenge. Mi- yeah. But then you got Misery, Stand by Me, yes. Shawshank Redemption. Uh, oh man, I want to do Cujo. Cujo. There you go. <laughs> I want to do. Uh, uh, oh, I want to do uh, uh, Silver uh, Bullet. Silver. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what Nick, I would love. To Nick do? Nolte. We can, we can do a Nick <laughs> Nolte tie-in series. Um, I uh, no, it's the uh, Danny. 
Oh, Salem's Lot, yeah. Salem's Lot. So there are so many of them that really are great. It'd be hard to, I think it, it's difficult to narrow that down, but I, I'm totally with you. I would love to do a, a Stephen King series. I'm very excited about, about talking about it um, and rolling that into um, next season. Absolutely. We should totally do that. Yeah. Let's. Uh, the, uh, let's see, what else came up on Facebook this week? Uh, Meinhard Jensen wrote in. Meinhardt was. Uh, let me tell you, Meinhardt Jensen is is so nice. I I would have confused him for spam. <laughs> what? Is that a compliment? It is a. It's it's a, a reverse. That's how nice he 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 was to it. What did he What did he say? I've been listening to you uh, to a few of your podcasts recently. Always when walking, I like your style and the way you approach movies. You respect your listeners and are well prepared. So far, I think your taste in movies is okay. Not too much one way or the other. You seriously need to ask someone you know about how to promote your work without paying millions. Uh, maybe, maybe he can point us in the right direction for that. This page should have at least 10,000 likes by now. Well, that's a, well let that's me tell you, uh, on that we violently agree. We definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always searching for good movie podcasts, and yours is quality. I just hope you have more than a few hundred listeners because you deserve it. Well, thank you, Meinhard. Absolutely uh, wonderful words we love to hear. Deepest, deepest thanks to uh, to Meinhard Jensen. And, and uh, yeah, yeah uh, send us. If if our taste in movies is okay, help us make it okay. Or what uh, what uh, what kind of movies are you interested in? Keep uh, keep sharing those thoughts. We really appreciate it. Well, and as you said, the the best way is go leave a comment and uh, rating on, on iTunes because that does help drive more people to find the show. Yes, it does. Thank you so much. And on that note, let us now move into the section of the show where we begin advertising for other movies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> enough about enough about you. Uh, what's your What's your trailer this week? Uh, this week, I'm going to talk about Thor Two, Thor Hard. <laughs> yeah. See, I anticipated uh, yeah. it, but it was still funny. Thor Harder. Who comes yeah. up with your stuff? Yeah. Why know. in the hey who did you pick this movie? I am very surprised I, that you, you chose know, this film. I actually like Thor quite a bit. I, I mean, of all the Marvel movies that have come out uh, in the kind of Avengers uh, umbrella or shield. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I really liked Thor quite a bit. I really was surprised by that because I Thor I know nothing about really. Um, I or I should say I knew nothing about. Um, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that one. I don't know if it was the the Shakespearean Kenneth Branagh touch. Um, I, you know, but I just found that one a lot more enjoyable than I was expecting. I mean, I, I think I enjoy Iron Man more, but I definitely enjoyed Thor more than Captain America which I just really didn't like. And not to toot my own horn, but I wrote a script called Thor and the Almighty Dave. It's kind of a, you know, straight to video kids movie is what it is. But um, yeah, so Thor, I, I, Thor I and the Thor and the what? And the Almighty Dave. The Almighty Dave. That's right. I remember no Dave. Oh, but you will remember Dave if it ever <laughs> <Yes>. gets made. <laughs> you surely you'll, will. You'll never ever forget. <laughs> so anyway, I have an affinity for Thor now uh, because, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of research on the character. I enjoy the character of Thor. I think it's a lot of fun. And Thor, the Dark World, I think actually looks pretty fun. I want to talk about this Alan Taylor. What do you know about this Alan Taylor? Nothing, I'll bet, because he's a TV guy. He is a TV guy. He's done some TV movies. And you know, can I tell you why, I, why I'm in love with him? 
I mean, deep man love mm. because of Game of Thrones. Uh, you are a Game of Thrones guy. Yep, yep, yep. He's big into the uh, into the Game of Thrones. He directed a whole slew of episodes in uh, season across seasons uh, two, I guess. Season two. One and two, seasons one and yeah. two. He's been a, been a part of that. That gives that actually does give me hope, because the movie poster is really bad. It's like terrible Photoshop. It's you know, you know superhero movie poster sort of thing. Oh, some superhero movie posters are good. Some yes, some are good. I like I, the Man of Steel poster is great. The Man of Steel is like meh, eh, meh. Not as not as good as the trailer. Trailer's great too. Yeah. <sighs> so so anyway, I'm excited. That's- all That's right. my movie. That's my movie pick. It opens up November eighth, so a little bit away. But it was exciting to see the trailer. I I think so too. I'm actually I'm I'm glad to see it coming out. I really like this string now that um, both Marvel and DC have kind of gotten their act together around their movie properties. I'm glad to see lots of lots and lots of superheroes. You can't go wrong with lots of superheroes and lots of different people doing more superhero stuff. Which is why I'm doing something not related to superheroes at all. The Fantastic. East. Have you uh, seen the trailer for the East yet? Looks pretty uh, uh, rebellious. It is quite <laughs> rebellious. Britt Marling, Alexander Skarsgård, Jason Ritter, and uh, uh, Pay Ellen Page, oh. and uh, it is directed by Zal Batmanglij. Batmanglij. Everyone's favorite. Is that? Is that a thing? It is. Uh, I'm. I'm very excited about. It. So the 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 premise of this movie comes out May 31st. So just the end of this uh, next uh, this coming month. Uh, the premise of this movie is uh, a um, uh, a an intelligence officer, a private uh, intelligence firm, uh, yeah, sends in an operative to this uh, to to go undercover in a, um, a, a anarchist, a fringe anarchist group that is executing attacks on major corporations. Uh, quid pro quo attacks. You poison, mm-hmm. you poison our people. We're going to poison your executives, kind of things. And, right. and uh, so it's uh, uh, very rebellious. It's it kind of falls in line with the um, with kind of the string of sort of mirror cultural mirror films that we're seeing about the you know toppling of the White House and the purge and and uh, you know these are you know these are are films that celebrate the toppling of organized systems. Yeah. And uh, this one Re- looks interesting. Reflecting the culture of our time. Yeah, exactly. This one looks interesting to me in particular because it's gotten some great uh, re- reviews for Ellen Page's performance, uh, that it's a very different role for her, and she's done a, she did a great job in it, and uh, it'll be good to see Britt Marling doing something a little bit more crazy. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about, uh, about this movie. The trailer looks great. So it's worth checking out again. May 31st, The East. Yeah, very uh, cool. Zal Batmanglij. Quite a cast for Zal. Zal, he's uh, I don't you know I didn't know much about the 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 uh, the Zal Batmanglij uh, apart from, um, uh, let's see how do I know him? I you know he did the sound of my voice, um, but that that was it, right? That's it. That's all in, in terms of the major, uh, you know, the full-length films that he's done, as and far as had, I know. That, as I recall, had quite a bit of indie buzz. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it. Well, that was Britt Marling, so, and yeah. Uh, yeah, lots of indie buzz. He's, he's so... So, there you in go. In any case, uh, looks looks good. I'm excited about it. 
Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it looks it looks like a good one. So yeah. So I, I don't know if it's something that you're supposed to drop everything in the middle of your seven year old's birthday party to see. I don't know if it's that kind of film, but you know, we'll surely find out. No, that's apparently just oblivion. Just oblivion. Right. Uh, all right, so let's talk about this. Uh, let's, let's, uh, where where are we in our series? We're uh, we've jumped over to uh, to the westerns, and tonight we're talking about the outlaw Josie Wales. Outlaw Josie Wales, poor Josie, man. I reckon so. There's a guy gets it handed to him. Yeah. Uh, why this? Why do you? Why do you love this movie? I. And I'm just going to tell you in brief why I love it. Because it's the perfect Western. That's and what it. makes it perfect? I'm curious. Because it has, it is, it's essentially a Greek tragedy in boots. <laughs> right? It is, it's, it's a film that defines so many, so many stereotypes of Westerns. It either defines them or totally celebrates them. It is a mix of like this just sort of like dark plotting drama with these brilliant bursts of dry comedy that come out of nowhere, uh, all coupled with a, a tragic hero that can spit with amazing accuracy. <laughs> as as good as he shoots. Unreal, <laughs> this guy, and spitting. It, the spitting is pretty spectacular. It <laughs> is pretty spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> and the dog, that poor dog gets spit on all the time. But he remains faithful. It is fantastic. Fantastic. So I love this movie. So that's why, I mean, I love this movie. It's a movie about a guy going on a parade, uh, a, a, a miscreant parade across the country for revenge. How can you possibly go wrong with that? Yes, I I agree. I, I, I mean, I think I, I look at it a little differently, but I still completely love this film. I, I love what it's doing with the Western. I love that it's changing kind of what... Uh, the Western was, in a way, it's kind of fitting in with the revisionist Westerns that started popping up in the 60s uh, and 70s and, and continued. It, it Changing the tone of, of what people expected in a Western, it was a little darker and more serious. You know, right from the start in this one, geez, you get, you know, just a, basically a massacre on his family. And it's it's horrendous. And then uh, you get this loner, but then you get all these fascinating supporting characters in this, um, several of which are Native American characters and several of which are, are female characters that in Westerns typically before this hadn't been, uh, or, or typically before the revisionist Westerns kind of kicked in, hadn't really been given uh, great depictions. And this was a really great story where you get these really fascinating Native American characters that actually seem to have a little more meat to them. They're given more of a sense of real people. And I love those two characters that we have in this film. Actually, the three characters, the the three principal Native American characters in the film, all are just uh, are great characters and I think really shine. Um, and I, I I just feel like this movie just did so much for the Western and you've got this lone character, you've got this picaresque journey across uh, several states as he's, you know, trying to seek revenge and or 
escape from the wrath of these you know, these uh, uh, red leggers. And uh, at the same time, he's this loner who ends up kind of collecting this new family of just misfits in a weird way. It's, it's like this strange, strange story about this guy who doesn't want to be around anybody who all of a sudden ends up with all these people and who all, for whatever reason, decide that they are going to put their faith in him. Uh, even uh, the old lady who... <laughs> for all intents and purposes, completely sees Josie Wales as like one of the ultimate sinners. You know, he's a murderer, outlaw, miscreant, and all of that. But- which is which is one of the great bits when when she is is talking with um uh, uh lone uh Chief Dan George uh Lone Wadi. Right, Lone Wadi. Uh talking to him about uh, you know well he's he's a Missouri man. We know that they're all killers and sinners and he says would you rather be with these other guys like (laughs) oh okay well okay so she's come to him and come to embrace him as the lesser of the evils that's in her life well and then what's what's great about that as well is later down the road when they end up at the uh at the ranch right she has that prayer where she thanks the Lord for straightening Josie Wales out and 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 basically you know making him make him having him make amends and and, and you know mend his ways and all of that right. which he clearly has a, a look on his face I mean not that he is what she thought he was but it, but it's just so funny the way that she interprets all of that and it's just a great character and this movie is just full of great great characters each character i think one of the things that's so fun about this movie is you watch these characters sort of come together and join this parade and that's why i mean it really feels like a parade because it starts with him on a horse and then he's got this this kid that gets shot he sort of rescues him and so then he he you know picks up the the um, uh you know from the comanchero raid he picks up the the lady in there and now there's a wagon and there's the the cattle on the back and it's eventually this giant train going right. across the uh, across the countryside i think it's fantastic and what i love so much about these characters is that in none of these characters do you see any sort of duplication of merit um they they each bring such a unique perspective on this journey that they are taking you know they each have uh their own mission that they need to to sort of see through as a part of what and and they just happen to jump on board with what he is um what he's trying to accomplish in his own life i think that's it just makes for a very special um kind of relationship set of relationships with many many supporting characters i mean it ends up being quite a large and motley bunch absolutely and the great thing about the film those aren't just the only great characters it's like every person that he runs into whether it's the the boatman and his granny uh who you know when the, when he goes across the water or whether it's the uh the uh the guy who's always trying to sell the the you know the uh the little what are those things called the uh the elixirs the elixirs thank yeah. you the guy who's yeah. always trying to sell the elixirs carpetbagger the carpetbagger thank you and the um you've got the the bounty hunters and then of course there's the the red legs and you've got all these fascinating characters played by people who I swear he plucked out of the 1870s like the actors in this are just so unique looking and they feel so genuine to the time it doesn't feel like you're watching hollywood actors in a a western film it feels like genuine characters from the actual time and they all have really interesting little bits even like granny 
before he crosses the river, her character has a couple lines and that's it. But it's, she's so memorable, just the way that she looks, the way that she speaks, uh, just the way her, she interacts with Josie. Everything about it is just memorable. And that's in the film from beginning to end. You get that. Yeah, you know, that that also happens to be one of the things I find actually challenging in the film. And I'm not saying that this is a challenge that the film has. It's it's a challenge I clearly have in watching it. All of the, the characters are so many. Uh, this is a challenge I have actually, I should extend it, not just with this film, but with Westerns kind of of the period. Mm-hmm. All of the, the male characters are sort of equally dirty and bearded. Right. Right. There, there is, and so I, I find myself having to go back and watch sequences again because if you look away for a second, it's another dirty bearded guy who, who <laughs> is, has totally jumped into the scene. I don't know how he got there. So I, I, I feel like as many times as I've seen this movie, I'm still missing things because it feels, you know, a little bit when, particularly in the big gun battles, you know, uh, I, what, who shot who there? Um, <laughs> you know, I can kind of keep uh, Fletcher straight because, uh, you know, of the. Uh, imp- impeccable voice or the unmistakable voice of john vernon um but uh but there are an awful lot of of dirty bearded guys in this movie that are that can be kind of tough to follow that's uh, that is a something in the westerns that you do kind of have to get used to because they're all on they're all on a horse is that is that a guy we saw before yeah (laughs) right Right, and, and that was the thing. It's been it's been several years since I've seen this film, and I found myself going back to that same old trope. Like I don't, I I am a grown man watching this movie and paying attention. I still don't know what just happened. <laughs> I think I've gotten pretty good at it, but yeah. it is it is uh, it does take some practice. It thank uh, you know, thank goodness, uh, we, you know, Sandra Locke comes in because uh, you know, then at least we have some contrast. Yes, so, look, look, it's a white dress. I can focus on that. I get, I get that. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, uh, where would you where would you like to start in terms of conversation uh, uh, about this film? So, I, we, we love it. We know we love it. Uh, yes. What is it? You you have brought up a couple of times this uh, the idea of the revisionist western, and I, I I think I misspoke earlier when I said I I love that it it defined and celebrates it either defines or ce- or celebrates the the some of the the western tropes or stereotypes and and uh, you know it, it it obviously came at a period after. A, a long era of celebrated Western films. Uh, but uh, talk a little bit more about what this Western revisionist kind of movement is and uh, that you of which you speak. Well, yeah, I mean, you think of a lot of the kind of, I mean, I don't want to stereotype them all as kind of the John Wayne Westerns, but you look at the types of Westerns that John Wayne had been in up until then. Uh, they were much more... Uh, I guess positive, you know, the the good guy in the white hat and the bad guy in the black hat. And you had just this real kind of almost American sort of feel to what the Westerns were. And it, there was this traditional nature to it, you know, the, kind of the John Ford films. There was a, a vibe to them. Sergio Leone kind of introduced this bit of chaos. And then Sam Peckinpah obviously introduced quite a bit of this more darkness. And a lot of it changed because of the end of, of uh, World War II and people were starting to look at things a little differently. And they and I think somewhere right around then, I, I can't quite remember when, but the code was was lifted, I think, like in the in the late 60s. And so a lot more darkness started being implemented into the, the films. And it, it, it became something that they were, I don't want to say they were celebrating the darkness, but they were introducing this kind of the the realism in the Western as opposed to romanticism. 
And that is really kind of what started making this change. And then, of course, in the 70s, you have, you know, Vietnam, and that introduced a lot of that tone, a lot of this uh, disenfranchisement with with the government and divisiveness. And, and so people really took to that. And you see that in, you know, some of Sam Peckinpah's films, like I said, or Arthur Penn's Little Big Man, Robert Altman's McCabe and Mr. Miller, A Cat Blue. You know, you've got a lot of these sorts of films that just took a darker tone or took those, those uh, things that were in those romanticized westerns and kind of twisted them on their ear a little bit and uh and and also acknowledged and and I guess you could say tried to repair some of the uh the things that had been wrong in those like I said uh stronger roles for women giving uh native americans and mexicans a, a more sympathetic view uh looking down on the government things like that and uh, so that's really kind of what came in with this revisionist western I don't think in the times of uh um the John Ford westerns, you're going to have the uh, the Union soldiers as the bad guys, right? Yeah, that's very that's a big clear. change. And yeah. and not only just, I mean, not only the bad guys, but the bad guys in a way that that uh, demonstrated through really horrific violence at the time. I mean, just the the mass slaughter of uh, you know of the last rebels and uh, you know by the. The soldiers. I mean, it was a it it it, it was a, a demonstration of violence to really build on the revenge theme in this film, and I think that's one of the things that was that was sort of new. How do you think this film fits? I mean, as a western, there's a reason we're doing it as as part of our series on 1976. Um, Talk a little bit more about your thoughts on how this film uh, fits in with the the series uh, that we've already done, and and I'm I'm thinking specifically about the changes that we've seen in in the approach to government that in in police procedurals, and and now what the time has done to to uh, to amplify um, the western in the form of this film. Well, I think definitely, and and you know, speaking going back to uh, when we first started the series, talking about that fantastic documentary about about the change in cinema in the 70s and how this whole tone kind of shifted. A lot of that, uh, you could almost say it was revisionist in in kind of all of uh, the film, uh, that all of the different films that were being made. The Westerns just happened to already be going through a change with this revisionist style. And so you, you see this coming through with, with looking at the government where this, this senator basically guns down this whole group of these rebels even though he told them that he would you know if they come in peacefully turn in their weapons then they would take good care of them and all that sort of stuff uh what does he do he turns around and has them all you know unveils a gatlin gun that that mows them all down after making them swear an oath of loyalty essentially right exactly exactly completely breaking his his promise i, I you can't get a a more vile depiction of the government in this film, plus the red legs, these Union soldiers who do nothing but run around. And I mean, they're the ones who who uh, raped and killed uh, Josie's wife, burned his house down, killed his son. They are the ones who uh, were there with the senator uh, behind the Gatlin gun, killing all these soldiers. There is this horrible group of these these uh, soldiers that are really just out to take advantage of the the bounty i guess that the the change in the country was going through and were really just bad people 
that's not something that you would have seen in Westerns maybe 10 years prior. And I think this change in 70s cinema, and especially in 76 seemed like a great year. You know, you look at Marathon Man and, and kind of dealing with the still this post-World uh, War II Nazism and everything going on there, Taxi Driver and this, you know, soldiers coming back from Vietnam dealing with this, you know, being psychologically messed up. Um, Carrie, I'm not quite sure how that one fits in. <laughs> you know, high school. Uh, high school. And all of that. Slaughtering pigs. and <laughs> the, the trials and tribulations of agriculture. <laughs> but you, you do definitely see that here in this film. It definitely yeah. comes through. Uh, that vibe of the 70s uh, in the cinema really shines through in this film. Well, I think it does. And I think that's one of the things that, that I find really interesting in reading sort of how, you know, how Clint Eastwood interprets this film as, as uh, you know, in this interview he did with the Wall Street Journal, he calls it an anti-war film. Uh, and and uh, because... Uh, he says, quote, let's see, man becomes his most creative during war. The amount of weaponry, look at the amount of weaponry that was made in just four short years of World War II. The amount of ships and guns and tanks and inventions and planes and P-38s and P-51s and just the urgency and the camaraderie and the unifying. But that's kind of a sad statement on mankind if that's what it takes. And right. then we have this movie. And what is so elegant about this film in its little way and I say that with all due respect, that we see uh, this this sort of uh, th that cultural sentiment of uh, the unification of the underdog, right? As we see each of these characters that we've talked about and sort of celebrated that that this uh, that 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 ends up being the statement that you know there is this is this is an example of the pendulum swinging uh, a, a touch too far uh, in, in favor of the state and. This is what happens when, uh, you know, when we see the masses join together as a result. And and I I uh, I, I find using the Western as a means to communicate that sentiment is um, uh, is a um, is a really satisfying story. Absolutely, absolutely, it it truly is. It's really looks at all of that with a, a lens that. Uh, fits the times well. The great thing about using film or writing a novel th that isn't necessarily blatantly depicting the time that you're living in, but you're able to put elements in that help people reflect on the time, just like you're talking about with the East, although that might be a little more blatant. This is more of a genre film that has some elements in it that people can then identify with the time. And it just it gives them that feel. It gives them that vibe of the, you know, the divisiveness and the disenchantment that everyone is feeling then. Yeah, I yeah, I think so. I I wonder, uh, you know, I it makes me really want to go back and watch Butch Cassidy again. And I'm very excited. We're going to I think that's on the list, right? We're going to be talking about that someday. Someday. Yep. Someday sooner rather than later. We not not should. next week. We're not talking. Not about not next week. No. Uh, but that's that's another one of those that introduces. And the reason I bring up uh, Butch Cassidy is because of the fantastic juxtaposition of of modern elements in the Western environment. Right. Right. The bicycle uh, bit, you know, and the the modern music that goes along with the uh, with uh, riding the bike, I think is just it's it's fantastic. And so when you come in in this movie, uh, you know, one of the things that I think we see is this um, is the use of uh, of these little comic moments and the treatments of these 
these stereotypes, uh, particularly around Native Americans and the sort of gentleness that they they use to to treat those stereotypes, uh, uh, in terms of you know Lone Weighty and and uh, you know his constant sort of you know she thinks I'm a, she thinks I'm a chief or I used to be respected, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But it's always just kind of oh there's a sad old man you know and that that's kind of a thing and and, uh, and but I find those elements of comedy introduced that seem strikingly modern in tone to me. Uh, and and it, I guess in a little bit take me out of the film, but only in just the right way. Do you know what I'm saying? Am I making any sense there? Yeah, I, I think so. Because you're right. I mean, some of those. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree and I disagree because I, I do think you're right. It does. It does feel like okay, maybe this is modern sensibilities, modern a modern way that we were, are depicting this character. I'm not sure if Lone Wadi is going to really um, play it that way or right, speak right. that way. But I don't know. There's something about Chief Dan George and the way he plays that role. I just feel so in tune with him. I feel like I I, I never question that it's uh, he's out of place in this Western. I don't feel like he's speaking in modern language or anything. So I don't know. I just I guess I never really had a problem with it. But well, uh, no, I no, no, totally no. And, I, coming from. and I, you know, I would I would it would be a shame to characterize it like that because I, I certainly do not have a problem with it. I, and I think it's totally appropriate in this movie. I just think there's a there's a certain kind of juxtaposition of tonalities in this film between what they're trying to maintain in the in the scope and scale and sentiment of this of the post-Civil War West and the uh, the sort of jibing humor of the contemporary 70s sort of uh, speech and right. and uh, not the and it just it it's uh, I I consider it more of a, 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 a it's kind of a momentum a, a bit of uh, that helps you build momentum in in these sequences that that you know the, there are some sequences in here that can get kind of long without a break and and I think that that brings us back and engages us and you know in a very sort of energetic way back into the tone of the film uh, yeah. back into the drama of the film right. So I think it's fine. I I love it. I just find it interesting. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Don't don't twist my words, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The casting in this is great. Uh, we've already talked about these these interesting supporting characters, but I mean, looking at the cast, I mean, obviously Clint Eastwood, he's kind of a you know a, a class by himself as far as what he does in westerns. I mean, it's he truly is almost like stepped out from the western age into modern the modern times and has created this character that really feels truly like a Western character. Yes. I love watching him. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about this last week. I mean, did you, uh, do you have a chance to reflect a little bit on, on what it's like to, or what it must have been like to sort of watch young Clint Eastwood at work, younger Clint Eastwood at work, (laughs) younger Clint Eastwood. Uh, you know, I I can't imagine, but I am sure that uh, I'm sure that it's. I mean, the thing about what I hear about Clint Eastwood on set is he's just relaxed, knows what he wants. He's very um, confident in his decisions. He's he's very loose. Also, he's not set on oh, it, the shot. You know, the the frame wasn't quite right, and he's very much like you know. I think that works. Let's move on. And if he thinks he's got it, then he's got it. And he just kind of keeps moving forward. My sense is he creates a very relaxed vibe on set and makes everybody feel very comfortable. And is one of those things where it's, it probably, 
it wouldn't even phase you that you're working with Clint Eastwood because he's just such a natural uh, when he's directing, which we also didn't say he directed this film as well. So he did. Uh, you know, I I was just uh, when I when the opening credits sort of come up, you know, and the uh, the studio logo fades out, and you see him behind that that plow with his son uh, crossing that field. I thought that is like that's exactly the guy in that I grew up with. I felt like I was going back in time. Like he's just vibrant and energetic, and and uh, I, I, it's it's a little bit of a betrayal when I turn back to the what it was at the GM ad, you know, or the Detroit ad from the Super Bowl, you know, where he's, <laughs> you know. He's 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 still Clint Eastwood. I mean, he's still Clint Eastwood, but he's not Josie Wales. Yeah, uh, this was just just it's such a powerful uh, portrayal of this character. But I mean, playing Western characters. I mean, I don't think he's done a Western since Unforgiven. No, am I right? Yeah. Uh, which was '92. And I would I would say Unforgiven is probably my favorite Western that he's uh, directed and starred in. Uh, but I don't know. Outlaw Josie Wales is is way up there for me. Yeah, I mean, but, I, I'm not saying I want to compare those two because wow. Uh, yeah, you know, different film, very different film. Different film, but it's it's interesting because Outlaw Josie Wales has a lot more thought put into it than uh, you know. I think maybe some people were expecting. I don't know, but it's it's you know in the 1970s western, it wasn't uh, a Sergio Leone type of western. It really had some thought going on in yeah, it, yeah. and I think in a way it was almost like a an early training ground for what he brought to Unforgiven. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And when you look at the, uh, and I shouldn't say it's a different film. I mean, it's actually very, very similar film when you have this kind of, uh, you know, the reluctant um, gunslinger returns to duty. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, that's the, it, that's the journey story here. And, and it's, um, uh, but it, it just, uh, boy, yeah, it's tough to compete with with that one, it, you know. And plus Morgan Freeman and Gene Hackman. Yeah, I, I know it's it's hard to go wrong with that film. Uh, okay, so the Cassie. Moving on from so, Clint. Yeah, so Chief Dan George, I already mentioned, yep. uh, was just fantastic in this film. He was, gosh, how old was he when he did this? He was born in 1899. <laughs> so, so that would make him 77 <sighs> when he was making this film. He had a really hard time. Uh, with his lines. So Clint had to basically kind of just repeat him over and over with him and get him to a point where he could kind of say them. And, uh, <laughs> and his, his, uh, his assistant cameraman caught him mouthing the lines along with chief Dan George, just trying to get him right. He's had to tell him, I think you're mouthing the lines. And he's like, ah, crap, <laughs> got to get myself back into character. <laughs> but, uh, chief Dan George though, I, you know, the way he ended up playing the character and delivering the lines it just creates this this uh, i don't know what it is about his character that i find so endearing it's just kind of this this old indian who is kind of it, at this point where it's like there, he once had so much more going on in his life and now he's you know he's kind of resigned to be the uh the old one who everyone's kind of dismissed and uh you know he still wants to get some of that youth back and I, there's something about him that is just there's, is there's fantastic. A, there's a funny twist on. There's got to be a funny twist in here on the Lone Ranger and Tonto relationship, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like this is this is what they look like, you know, now. 
Right, exactly. (laughs) Where are they now? Well, I used to have some respect. (laughs) (laughs) What does he say about his horse? He's just like, oh, I didn't surrender. But whatever, something like that. And that's how they got me. I can't remember what he said, but yeah. Uh, it, it is it is it's great that relationship is really is really great <laughs> what about the guy on the right well i didn't even think about him you were there i could have <laughs> <I> missed <laughs> uh, yeah. oh it's great great okay uh let's see uh sandra Sand- lock sandra lock um interestingly uh, this is where Sandra and Clint Eastwood met, I believe, and they started a relationship that lasted, I think, a, a little over a decade, I believe. Um, they were together for a while. She was in a good number of his films all the way uh, uh, into the 80s, I think up through Sudden Impact, I think was the last film they were in together. Right. Um, I don't, I, she, her character is so strange in this. It's like she's off. And I like that about her. She doesn't seem just like, kind of the normal girl that the guy goes after and it's just kind of a part that's there that doesn't really it could have been played by anyone there's something just off about her in this that in a way i makes it more memorable for me i still am not a huge fan of sandra locks i don't think but i enjoy this the quirkiness of this of this weird character yeah you know i I like the character too, and I, I think I know what you mean. Like it feels when when you say off, it it almost feels like she's, um, I don't know if she's battling just being raised extremely sheltered in a time of great struggle, mm-hmm. uh, or if she is is dealing with some sort of a, a, a cognitive kind of disability that right. she's kind of playing off. But that's that's kind of what it feels like. Like she's she's kind of hanging around with her grandmother and and just you know yeah. trying trying to make sure she eats every day and that's that's <laughs> you know, where she goes uh, but and and yet like there is a, a certain kind of affinity that they have for one another certainly that that Josie Wales has for her uh in um that that sort of builds and i think that adds to the uh, adds another dimension to the relationship and makes it either darker uh, or uh, but certainly more textural in in terms of their sort of dramatic relationship i i think it's um uh, it, it's a it's a rich relationship, no matter you know whether you think it's positive or or negative. Right, right. It's certainly an interesting choice. It is. It definitely. So this is where, uh, like I said, this is where they met. Interestingly, Philip Kaufman, who was originally, uh, he's credited as as co-writing the screenplay. He was actually directing this film. He, uh, um, Clint Eastwood bought the rights to the book. Uh, that uh, his producer, his producing partner found. He um, hired Philip Kaufman to come on board and write the script and then direct it. Philip started directing it. The first scene that they directed was the scene where the uh, uh, the uh, Josie Wales and his team uh, raids the Comancheros and he saves, the, uh, saves Sandra Locke's character and grandma. And... Uh, uh, he felt Philip Kaufman was making uh, decisions that Eastwood didn't agree with. He was um, feel, felt like Philip Kaufman was just waiting the very specific shot. Like I said, Eastwood is a lot looser. He's like, yeah, you know, it's fine. We got it. And Kaufman didn't work that way. There was a lot of tension between them. And also, 
partly because Kaufman also liked Sandra Locke, there was this <laughs> additional tension there. And I think that Kaufman, it sounds like he was a little miffed that Sandra liked Eastwood more than him. And anyway, what happened was Eastwood just really was displeased with how Kaufman was, was directing uh, thus far. And so he, after about a week into the production, he fired Kaufman and took over as the as the director of the film because of that. And actually, because of that, it spurred on this big thing with the Directors Guild of America where uh, there was an outrage because people uh, felt that somebody who was already on the production, you know, you're firing this director and then you're taking over. And um, they felt it was this, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't have been allowed to do that. You should have hired a different director who wasn't already involved in the film. They should have come on board instead of you, all this stuff. And anyway, the, the DGA fined the film about $60,000, something like that. And they passed a new law, which they it's known as where they will impose a fine on a producer if they if the producer fires the director and then replaces the director with himself. Wait a minute, say the name of the law again. You uh, Skype did a thing. It was it's called it. it's called the Clint Eastwood rule. The Clint Eastwood rule. So he <laughs> says so he's that you a, can't fire the director and replace yourself. Replace, and replace him with, it yourself. with yourself. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So strange little tidbit in uh, in cinema history. I did not know that. That's a new thing for me. Now you know. Fascinating thing to be known for. I know. So I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure it's something Clint Eastwood probably wants to be known for. I wonder if he has like a book of things that he's known for. I wonder what <laughs> where if it's like a, nu a numbered list where there's a number eighty nine, the Clint Eastwood rule. <laughs> number ninety, make my day. <laughs> make my day. That's right. Uh, okay. Um, so oh, going back, going back go to the cast, yes, uh, Bill McKinney, he's great as the evil Terrell, the head of the Red Bloods. We uh, have seen him before, actually, in the Parallax View. We have indeed. Yeah, he was uh, one of the Parallax assassins in that film, and uh, he was also one of the Mountain Men in Deliverance. He's so been, he's, yeah, he's been in a, he's been yeah. in a lot of things. He's been he in been. a lot of things, and he's he's yeah. Tends to be a not nice guy. A not nice guy. I was going to figure out out of 112 uh, things he's been in, I wonder how many of them he's not a nice guy. Yeah. Um, mm. And John John Vernon, who you already said, who has such a great voice, was in this. It's a, you know, John Vernon, is an, he's um, kind of an interesting, uh, interesting actor. Um, you know, he's, I, I think, played a, uh, also a lot of villains to make use of that great, great voice. Um but as I'm, it's funny as I'm looking back through his, you know, list of credits. He's got a lot of TV sort of animated voice st uh, work in the '90s, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but um, I feel like I actually haven't seen as as memorable as his voice is. I haven't seen a whole lot of his uh, films. Yeah, I I think his films that stick out for me i mean he tends to be i think the bad guy in the films that stand out for me i think right like um uh what was that uh one that he, he was a bad guy in gosh and now i'm flipping what through. was it, it what, there was he was in the uh john wayne uh before this uh he was in the john wayne it was uh what was it uh right before this right it was uh 
John Wayne and uh, Brannigan. Brannigan, Richard, yeah. Richard Attenborough. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, he was in Brannigan. He was in uh, the Swiss Family Robinson. Yep, yep. You know, he was in a, a good number of of things in the in the seventies. And uh, I mean, gosh, he's a busy man. He's been in lots and lots of stuff. I mean, he was in Topaz for Hitchcock. Right, so I mean, he's right. a guy who's been around for a while. And and yet, you know, I can't I can't tell you really. I mean, he's one of those that I just don't have a a, a real connection to beyond kind of his voice. I realize I I feel like I know him predominantly from my memory of Outlaw Josie Wales, which you know, out of the hundreds and hundreds of things that he has done, uh, I don't know I don't know what that says. He was in uh, Animal House. Well, and interestingly, back in the '60s, he provided the voice for t- the animated Iron Man. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, well, and that was I. I, I think uh, you know between that and uh, and Dean. Uh, well, and what did he? What, what was he in? Um, in uh, Animal House. Gosh. Well, it'll come to me. In any case, he, yeah, he we, we like him. He, he, was, he was the, the, dean, he was the mean dean, dean right? right? He was the mean dean. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we like uh, we like him. We like his voice. We like John. What Burke. else do we have? Yeah. Um, Sam Bottoms is great. Uh, Geraldine Keems is great as the the uh, Native American woman. Uh, we've got Sheb Woolley who pops up as a as kind of a dressed actor in a lot of westerns uh, with a great name. He pops up in this film, and uh, Richard Farnsworth pops up as one of the Comancheros, which surprised me when I saw him. Totally, uh, I was I was convinced that was him, and sure enough, that yeah. was Richard Farnsworth as one of the Comancheros. And then the last one that I want to point out—I mean, there's lots of great actors all through the film—but the last one that I wanted to point out is Royal Dano, who appears in this film as one of the townsfolk in uh, in the town at the end of the film. Royal Dano. Um, I, I guess I could say I most remember him as the voice of Abraham Lincoln in the Disneyland animatronic Disney thing or the, the animatronic Lincoln thing. <laughs> he was the voice of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> oh, man. I don't think I ever knew that until now, but that voice always was kind of like the Abraham Lincoln voice. Wow. Until uh, until Daniel Day Lewis came along and and, and, and took it and did took it as did little, other things squeaky high voice that that it, I guess it really was yeah that's fantastic so that's a strange little bit of casting trivia for you oh it's funny about Royal Dano I mean I feel like I know Royal Dano from other stuff I was always you know I was way into something wicked this way comes uh, yeah. and uh, yeah and the right stuff and. So he's been he he's sort of been in my peripheral vision for a while. Yeah, yeah, That's lots of great characters. Really great character, and they're all bearded and dirty, and so they all kind of blend in. But they're yeah. all doing great work together. Absolutely. Uh, let's. Uh, so we uh, Clint Eastwood uh, directed, uh, written the, uh, based on the book written by Forrest Carter. Have you read the book? Is another. You know, one. I I haven't, but um. Have you done any digging into the book and and Forrest Carter? Well, I you know there we should uh, we should talk about the other uh, the other Josie Wales bo- um, film made based on the book, which was uh, called what Going to Texas. 
No, uh, this book, uh, the, the book was originally the named Vengeance the Rebel, of, yeah. The, yeah, the Rebel Outlaw Josie Wills was the original name of the book. When, when it, they reprinted it, it, now it then became Gone to Texas. Gone to Texas, right. And then, then once the movie came out, or I, I don't know if it was when the movie came out, or the, it was the same year, he had a sequel that he wrote called The Vengeance Trail of Josie Wills. Right. But the thing, uh, so but the yeah, thing, what's so interesting about the um, the thing Forrest I Carter. find about uh, interesting about Forrest Carter is Forrest Carter is the um, uh, the pseudonym. I don't know if pseudonym is the right word, but the pen name for uh, Asa Earl Carter, who was a, a KKK leader and a segregationist, and really not the sort of person that I would have expected to to, to have told this story also wrote The Education of Little Tree about a kid, and I, I haven't read it. I, I, From my recollection, when they made a movie of it, um, like, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, it was about a kid whose parents died, and he was, like, raised by, you know, Native American or something like that. I can't, I can't remember. It, it, but as I was reading this, I'm like, this is the guy who, he was a KKK guy. He was a segregationist who wrote the, uh, or one of the two men credited with uh, George Wallace's famous slogan, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, in his inaugura inaugural speech in the 60s. I, I, I just, I, it blew my mind that this was the guy who wrote this film that had such, uh, you know, a kind of honest portrayals of Native American characters and seemed to be, uh, you know, <laughs> just totally different than than what uh, his his past really uh, pointed in the direction of. That's fascinating. And as I'm um, uh, sort of reading up, you, you know, he it looks like after he lost the election on the white supremacist supremacist platform against uh, uh, against uh, Wallace against Wallace, right after uh, Wallace, 1970, right because Wallace. Uh, didn't invite him to come on board when he ran for president. Right. So then he ran against Wallace a few years later. And then decided to go change his name and start being a, and start writing. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's like he totally tried to dismiss and hide the fact that he had been this complete hater who had been involved in just awful hate crimes and just like awful, awful stuff. It's like, what? Wow. Yeah. You wonder yeah. how authentic that was. I mean, certainly from his his work, if you read a man by his work, uh it seems like he there was uh, certainly a turn of uh a turn of fates there. Uh you know, he begins to call his sons his nephews, changes his name. Um you wonder how much authenticity is in there if he's just getting away from his past. Fascinating. Yeah. I I I find it really interesting. So, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, gosh, do I do I still want to like the film knowing that it came from uh, such a uh, kind of a hateful person? You know, it's, it's one of those things. I, I almost want to dismiss that element of it and just enjoy what Clint Eastwood and Philip Kaufman and the rest of the team brought to this film because this film, yes, it may have been adapted from that book. Um, and sure, it, it obviously through that the book had in it a lot of the dialogue, a lot of the story elements and all that. But it has this anti-war element, all this stuff that Clint Eastwood was bringing to the table. And I feel like there's so much more going on in the film that I, I feel like I can find a separation between it and not have to feel like I'm supporting this guy by, by enjoying the film. Yeah, I think the, uh, I, I think the film sort of stands, uh, it stands on its own. I think if you look at the message of, of the film, which I think is, is great, 
Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like I, I feel like the the message is is one that that rises above um, sort of the initial, you know, the history of its initial creator, right? Um, and and certainly you know delivers enough. I I wanted to talk about the fact that I, I have not seen the other movie made on this, um, you know, on this the platform of this book, which was the uh, the Sam Elliott Josie Wales. Um, I haven't either. And uh, but it was I'm not sure if it was more in line with, um, uh, you know, with the, the text or um, or not. But that's that's one that that surprised me. I didn't even know that that one existed. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it only came up when I was looking for the link to post to the film. Um, is that, that is actually that, more to it? Was that the return of Josie Wales? Oh, I don't believe it was. I think it was a gone to Texas thing. Um, but I'll, I'm going to find it because um, they did. Now I can't find it. Ten years later, in 1986, they did. Michael Parks directed a sequel, The Return of Josie Wales. Well, am I thinking of that? Did that have Sam Elliott in it? Uh, I don't see Sam Elliott. I don't see anyone of any uh, renown in this other than Michael Parks, who directed and played Josie Wales. Well, now I'm on a mission. Uh, yeah, it ju- you know, this is what I get for not actually copying my links when I see them. Well, while you look for that, I want to tell you another little Please. interesting, interesting little bit that I I learned while I was digging up digging up things for this movie. So, I found out that in addition to the Internet Movie Database (IMDb), there is a database called the IMFDB. The Internet Movie Firearms Database. <laughs> oh. And if you're watching a movie and you go, what gun is he using? You can look up a movie there and you can find out all the different guns that the characters were using throughout the film. So wow. they list all the different variations of guns used in the Outlaw Josie Wales. It looks to be 11 different types of guns, one of which uh, has four of its own variations. So it's, you know, whether it's a Colt Walker 1847, a Colt 1860 Army, a Colt 1851 Navy, a Sharps 1865 Sniper Rifle, a Springfield 1861, it's got all of them. It's got pictures of the weapons. It's got pictures of them being used in the film. It's, it's just, it's a crazy little thing for anyone who happens to be a, a gun nut, I guess. It's something that's, uh, that's, kind of that's too funny. Like that. Yep. Uh, well, I will, uh, j- hey, follow up. I found it, except for I can't find it in IMDb. It's on Amazon, Gone to Texas, 2009, with Sam Elliott, Claudia Christine, and uh, directed by Peter Levin. And you can buy it on DVD for $5.74, so apparently it's quite a stunner. Wow. A lot of fans, I guess. Right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I've, I think I've changed my um, tune. I'm not really that interested in seeing it. Yeah, I but would. it is it is the story. It is uh, based on the same. Uh, well, I, I don't even know if it's based on the same thing, but it's, it sure shares the same name. Maybe it's a totally yeah. different film. We should talk about it some more, shouldn't we? Yeah, this less. is why people. <laughs> why people <laughs> this is in. why they tune in. Yeah, All right, what else? One, one last person I just I I forgot to mention is Will Sampson, who um, was chief in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and here he is Ten Bears, yes. and. It's a it's a small part, but 
I love the way the film builds to that confrontation between Josie Wales and Ten Bears. You feel like it's going to be this this shootout between these characters. The way it it plays out is, and the way that you, we've seen Josie through the film, he's all for just you know, just pulling those guns and killing everybody and and you know blazing bullets and everything. The the final uh, scene, the the confrontation between him and Ten Bears has to be one of the most gratifying scenes in this film and talk about a revisionist western you don't expect your hero to go and just have a powwow with this you know what they what everyone deems this big bad uh comanche in the area and and just kind of resolve things that's not what you expect at all and it plays so nicely and the conversation the way they play it it's really like these two disenfranchised men coming to terms with with their own uh state in life and and finding a place where they can work together and i i find that so gratifying and i really enjoy that they did that in this film well you know what i love so much about it is that i think in many ways we talked about how some of the um some of the humor is based it comes up at the expense of this other native american character uh mm-hmm. and and yet when you see um eastwood or josie approach uh the cherokee tribe and and uh, you know ten bears comes out um it, the just the way that scene was written, uh, the words of respect and using the language and the the you know language and the tone um, in you know his approach to the tribe, uh, I think balances out in every way uh, all of the dismissive humor of the um, of the rest of the film, and it really I think it earns that that sort of cultural justice that comes as a result of their reconciliation. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very powerful sequence. Uh, and it all leads up to, I think, one of the one of the great uh, finale uh, sort of non shootouts mm-hmm. in the history of film. I mean, it is the 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 final confrontation uh, between um, you know between Wales and Wales and Terrell. It, yeah, at Wales and Terrell is uh, horrifyingly long and intense and. Um, and yet, you know, not a bullet fired in all those guns. Uh, it truly is. It's it's one of the most amazing, like, symbolic death yeah. scenes. Uh, and it makes you wonder, if Terrell hadn't pulled his sword, would Wales have just left him there? Would he have symbolically, like, cleansed himself of him and moved on past him? Right. You know, I, I don't know the answer. I don't know if it really matters. I, I love the way it ends. Well, and and we should say for those who don't remember, I you know they Wales uh, ends up sort of cornering Terrell, and and um, in this sequence he pulls all of his guns, which is many, and yeah. fires through every um, at dry fires uh, every um, every one of his six um, mm-hmm. you know potential shots, and it turns out he's out of bullets in every one of his guns, and he keeps pulling the next set of guns, and then he he replaces them in their holsters and pulls his next set, and he fires you know twenty four times I think with all of his guns, and um, and and there is not a bullet in in a single one of them, and so there the two men are standing, and and finally Terrell does draw his sword, and um, uh, and it, again I think you use the word symbolic, it's just right as Wales grabs the sword and you have this sort of moment where Terrell effectively is falling on his own sword through right. Josie's hands. And I think that's a, it's an extremely powerful moment. It's a long sequence of, of and you see that's just sort of anticipation in, in Terrell's eyes. But what I think is so powerful at the end of that 
there is a reflection on Wales, and you see his face as he he is looking down at Terrell, uh, who has now fallen to the ground, and he closes his eyes, Wales. He closes his eyes and opens them really wide again, and you can almost... Um, I I don't I, I think you can read it a couple of ways. Like I'm torn as I watch that sequence. I watched that that sequence a couple of times today, and the first time I thought, "Wow, that's him being cleansed, mm-hmm. right? That's him finding the revenge that he had sought." And the other end, the, the other side of it, as I watched it again right before we went on the air, uh, you know, look, there's him, um, you know, really sort of wondering what the what the journey was really all about. Was it worth it? You know, I, I think yeah. it's that is such a brilliant um, moment that, that we get to celebrate his own kind of agony. It's an interesting uh, comparison moment between that and Jessica Chastain at the end of Zero Dark Thirty. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It was it worth it. Was the journey worth it? Yeah. Where do we go from here? Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. Luckily, he's already found a new family. They have uh, this ranch, and you know he's already in a place where he's able to kind of move through that. And I I, I love that bit. And also the last bit, I mean, just talking about all the bits, but the last bit with John Vernon at the end, you know, it's it's Mm -hmm. this amazing moment where these two men recognize each other and acknowledge everything that's gone on. And in, in their own way, it's almost they come to terms with it, move past it, and and that's it. It's it's just a beautiful, beautiful moment. Truly, it yeah. truly is. Um, this film did. Uh, this film is uh, is uh, you know well liked. It is well liked. It did well for say. itself. Yeah, it, it did, did well, well for for a little for a little western, little Eastwood yeah. venture, little, little Eastwood western. It uh, you know it cost three point seven million to make. And uh, it made about, it uh, looks like about almost 32 million domestically. I didn't find anything about international figures, but you know, it turned a handsome profit. It certainly did. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you have on this film as we kind of begin to wrap up here? You know, I think I've gone through everything. I, I, uh, I used my last little bits while you were digging for that uh, remake information. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, let's let's uh, flick chart this thing, shall we? Absolutely. All right, you ready? Oh, I'm I'm ready. The Outlaw Josie Wales or Cloud Atlas? Well, the Outlaw Josie Wales. I completely agree. The Outlaw Josie Wales or the Maltese Falcon? Both uh, interesting. genre-defining films. Yeah, they sure are, huh? I I think I would go with uh, Josie Wales. I think I would, too. Yeah. There's more color in it. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Sold on, <laughs> on the Eastman stock. <laughs> All right, the outlaw Josie Wales or the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Now, there's a more interesting... Ooh, yeah, that is a tough one. Some good, I'm uh, still going to go with Josie Wales. Oh boy, I'm really torn on that one. I might, uh, I might go with Treasure of the Sierra. Madre. The thing about Sierra Madre, the thing that would push it over, the thing that gives me license to say okay, is the "Holy cow, I'm going crazy in the woods" sequence. Mm-hmm. That was really powerful stuff in Sierra yeah, Madre. It is. All right, I would go with that. I'm, I'm easy. All right, all right. Uh, the outlaw Josie Wales or Dark City? Well, Dark City. I would put Dark City on first. I probably, I gosh, I don't know. I feel like I could put either one on and be completely content. 
<laughs> but I, I feel easy with Dark City. I feel mm-hmm. like there's a uniqueness to that film that I, I uh, really enjoy. So we'll do Dark City. All right. Josie Wales or Hot Fuzz? <laughs> I don't even want to say it until you say Oh, you know I'm a Hot Fuzz fan. I know you are. I just I feel like this should torture you a little bit. I hope that it does, but I'm I'm worried that it won't. Oh gosh, it is Hot Fuzz. Oh, <laughs> uh, but you know, Outlaw Josie Wales has has more uh, substance. Thank you, sir. <laughs> it took me a minute, but I I did work myself through that one. Diane ain't right. much of a living boy. Josie Wales or When Harry Met Sally? Josie Wales, please. Uh, For the love of everything. I'll I'll go with you on that one. Josie Wales or Moneyball? Moneyball. I would watch Josie Wales over Moneyball, but I really love Moneyball. I love Moneyball. There you go, number 17. That's good. That feels just yeah. about right. I'm liking how this flick chart's working out for us. I know we have some, we still have some catch up to do, but I'm really liking how this is working out. Every time we come to the end of it, it just sort of gut check feels right. Feels good. Feels good. It feels good. Feels good. All um, right. What are we doing? Where are we going from here? We're doing network next week. Absolutely. We're we're finishing up our 76 series with network. Which we have is, a we have a crossover. It's it a is. very it's a very special episode. It is. Why it's is it? Very, why is it? Should we, are we going to talk about why it's a crossover? Sure, go ahead. Well, it's a crossover Speak because it's things. it is both a nineteen part of our nineteen seventy six series, of which we will have uh, capped off our our five some five of our favorites from that year, uh, and it is a Patty Chayefsky movie, who is uh, uh, undeniably, thou shalt not speak, uh, speaketh uh, other than this uh, uh, holy truth. One of the very greatest cinema writers of all time, writers bar none of all time. Here, and here. we're very excited to do uh, a brief series of Patty Chayefsky uh, before uh, we get into the heat of the summer and some of the bigger films that are that are are, are sort of we're very excited to talk about. So, Absolutely. Uh, so that's what's coming up uh, network next week. We're very excited about it. I think that's all the news that is um, that that we had this week. Yeah. You done? All the news that's fit to print. I wish we printed. Paper's dead. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.